Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where I speak with creative entrepreneurs, artists, and other insanely interesting people to hear their stories learn about their molding moments, tipping points, and spectacular takeoffs. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow! Did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com/acast and use code acast for twenty percent off your first purchase. Let's talk about aging. It's inevitable, right? But what if I told you there's a new way to age, led by Solgar Cellular Nutrition? They believe, and I do too, that you can transform the way you age cell by cell with the power of cellular nutrition. As we age, our cellular function declines. Your regular multivitamins and minerals might not be enough to combat these age-related declines, and that's where Solgar Cellular Nutrition comes in. It's formulated with targeted cellular nutrients that work with your body's natural processes deep inside your cells to help you fight cellular decline and promote cell health across three benefit areas. It supports cell energy, repair, and vitality, muscle strength, and even glutathione production to help protect cells. So let's own our healthy aging narrative. Visit CellularNutrition.Solgar.com to learn more. Again, that's CellularNutrition.Solgar.com to learn more. Solgar Cellular Nutrition. We go cell deep. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Noah, welcome to The Unmistakable Creative. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Um, so tell me a, a bit about yourself, your story, your, your background, and uh, how that has led you to doing the work that you're doing today. Well, I am a writer. I'm working on a couple of books, and uh, I'm also a travel blogger. Um, but the work that I'm doing today is um, I just came out with a book called Traveling the Cambodian Genocide, and that kind of all began with who I am. Uh, I'm a grandchild of Holocaust survivors. And um, basically for my entire life, I was interested in getting the answers from my grandparents and getting to those stories. But um, they were very secretive about their pasts. Uh, I guess they had raised their children on those same stories and, uh, you know, could definitely have a 
uh, an impact on young children. So they were just used to keeping the stories a secret from me and their other grandkids. Um, and so after growing up and going off to college, uh, my grandfather, he had passed away. And my grandmother basically just shut down. She was no longer interested in uh, living. And I realized that these stories were gone. So um, what I had done was I packed up a surfboard and a backpack. And I just spent uh, 15 months out in the world traveling around. And um, when I arrived in Europe, which was about the 12-month mark, um, a girlfriend had met me there, mm -hmm. an ex-girlfriend now, and we started traveling around Spain, Italy, Greece, and lo and behold, uh, one day we went to take out money from the ATM, and her bank account was wiped clean. So at that point, I'd already been traveling for 13, 14 months at that point, and I realized that if we were going to continue, I was going to have to pay for the rest of the operation. And we were going to have to go someplace cheap. So we decided that we would go into Eastern Europe. But one of the commitments that I had made to myself on this travel um, was that I would not go into Poland and I would not go into Germany. Germany, for the obvious reasons um, that relate to the Holocaust, and Poland was where my grandparents were from. And they had um, a, a, a greater distaste for what the Poles had done because these were their neighbors and these neighbors had turned the, turned them in for schnapps and sugar and potatoes, things like that. Mm -hmm. So, um, we started moving through Slovenia and Hungary. And when we got to Hungary, I ran into this building and I just paused where I was standing and looked up and just couldn't believe what I had seen. It just said Holocaust museum. And I just, I'd almost forgotten about it in over a year because my, my trip was really focused on surfing and that was about it. And mm -hmm. when I saw those two words, I realized that I needed to go in and I needed to see what was being presented in, in Eastern Europe on the Holocaust. And obviously it was a very uh, objective presentation and uh, the museum was quite good. It was brand new. But I started to realize that I was very close to potential answers. So I sent my father an email, and um, I asked him if he had any information before Poppy, uh, that's my grandfather, that's what I called him, uh, before he had passed away, and, and my grandmother, if she had given uh, any, any information or towns, that uh, the town that they had lived in or the camps that they had been to. And he actually had on a piece of scrap paper, which he had told me about, um, a few names of the camps, the ghetto that they had been in, which was Warsaw, and um, their street addresses. So I considered that pledge that I had made to myself that I would not go into Poland. But then I realized how close this could lead me to some sort of answer. And I went back to their hometown. I took those addresses, and I decided I would go into Poland. I wound up actually staying in Poland for three weeks, and I just explored their hometown. Uh, I went to the places that their, um, that their houses once stood, and I went into the, uh, the town's archives and talked to people and just tried to get an information. And while I kind of came away uh, not empty-handed but didn't have much, I returned to New York um, to see my grandmother after the trip had come to an end. And I, when I saw my grandmother, I had said to her, Do you know, I went to Poland. And she looked at me a bit shocked. And then a big smile came to her face. And she asked me, did I go to see the Umschlundplatz? And the Umschlundplatz is not a place that really deserves a smile because it's the site where all the Jews were, um, when, when the camp, when the ghettos were liquidated, all the Jews were sent to, uh, the Umschlagplatz to be sent to the camps. So it was just very odd that she had smiled, but then I followed, I told her I had, and I followed up with a series of questions. And from there, we just got into her past. And over the course of, 
uh, it would have been, I guess, the next six years, she revealed everything to me, or as much, I guess, uh, as she could tell a grandson. And I wound up working on a book about her and my grandfather and my own search to uncover these facts. And um, then we shift over to, I guess, Cambodia, which is, um, which is what the Holocaust, uh, in, in a sense, I guess, insp- quote-unquote inspired, um, for me at least. Uh, and what happened was I needed a break. I was writing all the time on, this, on uh, the Holocaust. I was writing all about hate and genocide uh, and racism for a publication that I was writing for online. And I just needed to do something a bit less intense. Hmm. So I started, um, I started a novel. And the novel was about a writer, which is, seems to be what many writers uh, <laughs> tackle as a subject. And I realized it was trite and boring and came out all wrong. So I, I needed to switch. And I spent some time just thinking about who my protagonist really could be. Because I, I liked the novel because of all the other characters in the book. And, um, when I, for some reason, I don't know how it happened. Uh, the character that I settled upon was, uh, infant survivor of the Cambodian genocide. And from there, uh, my interest in Cambodia just, I guess, took off. And, um, yeah, I've been writing about Cambodia ever since. And that led me to travel there for my honeymoon. Um, among other countries. Mm-hmm. And when we were in Cambodia, my wife and I just spent our time traveling to all the sites of genocide and speaking with the people and getting a sense of how the 1970s, which is when the genocide took place there, how it affected um, the people who are survivors, mm-hmm. but also how it affects that next generation. And there's a lot of kids there who uh, who are severely impacted by what, what happened in uh, when the Khmer Rouge was in power. So. Mm-hmm. All right. So perfect. I mean, there, there's a ton of stuff here and I, I actually want to start, um, with your childhood. Uh, it's interesting. I think you actually set up the thread perfectly when you talked about how something like a genocide impacts the next generation. Uh, you know, I mean, you mentioned that your grandparents are Holocaust survivors and I guess the question for me, when I hear that, at least the starting point is how did that impact um, you know, you as a child growing up, how did that impact kind of your, your views on the world? Uh, and, and how did that impact how you were raised, especially when it seemed like these were stories that people didn't want to talk about and almost tried to, to basically shield you from? Right. Um, well, it, I guess it's changed over the, the years, but in the beginning, um, I was just, in, I, I think I've spoken to a lot of, um, grandchildren of survivors. And I think grandchildren, uh, are impacted a little differently than, than the children. Uh But, um, a lot of the grandchildren I spoke to were, um, very affected emotionally by it. And there was some level of fear with a lot of the, the, the third generation that I had spoken with. But for me, I was always just very proud of my grandparents. I always saw them as, heroes in a sense i mean they were heroes when they were in the warsaw ghetto they they were part of the uprising um but they never wanted to talk about it so i don't know what they had accomplished in that in the that month of fighting but um yeah i always i always very always very proud of them um and i i wasn't affected the way that a lot of uh a lot of the people that i had spoken with seemed to be affected i i wasn't scared but i definitely might have not had the same trust in humans as uh, as people i think tend to have mm-hmm. um which changed a lot when i when traveling when i when i started traveling around i think that barrier kind of crumbled a bit and i started to trust people a bit more um but now now i'm a i'm a recent father i have a 5 month old and it's that's also impacted me differently. Um, I, I kind of look at life uh, quite, yeah, quite differently. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting, right? I mean, the reason I always ask questions around sort of the past because I feel like everything kind of leads us to where we're at today, right? The dots kind of connect, and there's patterns that that sort of play themselves out. Uh, 
but I think the the other thing is is how we deal with uh, stories that are difficult or parts of our past that are difficult. Uh, and so I, I guess the question for me is, I mean, this is not personally a thing for you as, as far as dealing with the past that's difficult, but it's somebody very close to you. And I think that one of our tendencies uh, is to try to cover it up, right, or to just ignore it or let it be. And I'm really curious, you know, when, when it comes to something, especially like this, I mean, if there there are things that are of a similar nature or troubled parts of a past, how, I mean, how do you suggest people deal with them? Well, I think... Um for me, at least, it was trying to get to these stories. Mm-hmm. And there's a few reasons for that. Um, besides selfish reasons of just being interested, um, I'm, also a, I'm also a teacher. And when I first started teaching, I uh, brought out Night, and I asked my students, Ellie Wiesel's book, and I asked my students if uh, they had ever heard of the Holocaust. And in five classes one kid came close and he said, is it, is it that Jewish thing? So, you know, he, he wasn't, <laughs> he wasn't being disrespectful. He, he really just didn't know. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it, it, the, the, the survivors are still around very few of them, but, but, uh, you know, in, in just a few decades, history almost begins to disappear. Mm-hmm. So I think educating, people is very important. So to keep stories locked away, you know, it's therapeutic maybe for some people, but they need to be revealed. And just in traveling Cambodia, um, I ran into, I spoke to a lot of kids. Uh, I was kind of interested in how the, uh, the events that their parents had gone through and those tragedies, how it, how it affected them. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the kids understood, and, and this was presented to me brilliantly by one of the tuk-tuk drivers that was taking me around one day in a town called Batambang, but he told me that the kids knew what had happened. They just didn't know why any of it happened, mm-hmm. which is a, a real problem when people are capable of propaganda. You know, I mean, the, the, what, the, the what could be explained and rationalized many different ways when, when the why is not clear. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, I, 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 I think there's a few reasons why that, that is the case in Cambodia and why kids are not really learning. Uh, partly it has to do with the people in charge. Um, some of them are connected to the Khmer Rouge. They were child soldiers. Some, some did awful things, uh, and I think they want to sweep a lot of this under the rug. So, you know, they're embarrassed maybe by their pasts and they're not, uh, they're not revealing what had happened. And I, I remember I was in this town, um, popular town that a lot of tourists go to, uh, CM reef, which is the gateway to Angkor Wat. Mm-hmm. And I saw this kid selling a memoir. Um, uh, it, it was a pirated version of, um, I forget the the title. It's a popular book in Cambodia now and in America, um, but it's about this 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 child survivor who um, whose parent whose father was killed. And I asked him. I said, "Do you know anything? What this book is about?" And he just he just re- told me whatever was on the back cover. Mm-hmm. And um, I asked him, "Do they not do they not teach teach this to you in school?" And he was explaining that they only teach uh, about uh, the the uh, the temples, the mm-hmm. history of the temples, because that's more profitable for them. Uh, they're not going to make any money being tour guides in um, in the killing fields, in um, the torture cha- in the schools that were turned into torture chambers, because that's not what tourists demand. They want to go see what happened a thousand years ago, not what happened in the 1970s. So it's, uh, yeah. So I think education, education and revealing these stories, if you know, you've experienced them, uh, would be most beneficial to society. However, you know, if you've experienced something like that, who, who could fault you for never wanting to talk about it? Sure. 
So interesting enough, I mean, the ongoing sort of theme, and, and I've heard you say this multiple times throughout, uh, you know, our conversation already is this idea of a search for answers. Um, and, you know, I, I want to actually talk about that entire concept because I think that any journey, uh, whether it's a creative one, whether it's a professional one, whether it's a spiritual one, and in, you know, in the work that we do, I think all those three things seem to blend together. Uh, the search for answers seems to be kind of an underlying theme. The question, I guess, for me is, is maybe maybe not you know not the, the search for answers because I mean you had your questions. The question for me is how do you figure out what your questions are so you can begin your search for answers? Hmm, that's interesting. Um, well, in ter- in terms of. Uh, the Holocaust, or in terms of no, Cambodia? no. I mean, in terms in general, let, let's let's take this kind of a, at a high level uh, for anybody listening, regardless of what their their sort of situation is. I mean, you know, the search for right. answers is a journey, but how do you figure out what the journey that you're supposed to be on is? I mean, you did, so I'm curious. You know, if you're looking at talking to other people, what yeah. your thoughts are around that? I mean, it, I guess it always depends on someone's own compass and, and what's guiding them and what they're passionate about and what they want to know and what they just have craved that information. So uh, once they determine that, I think, um, you know, if it is something in related to history, then obviously you want to have, I think, some sort of solid background uh, or, or just some some basic ideas of what had happened. So, you know, how to form your own answers, you know, having the prior knowledge of, uh, of, of what, or sorry, not to form your own answer, but to form your own questions. Mm -hmm. Um, so having that prior knowledge will allow you to know what to ask. And, you know, it's, it's from there, it's just about, uh, to, to get to these answers, if, if it is coming uh, from people and if it is a sensitive subject, then it's just about taking the risks and going out there and um, realizing that you're going to probably piss some people off and you're going to offend some people maybe. Um, and there's going to be people who just don't want to talk about this topic with you. And, you know, you have to, I guess, accept you know, accept their stance and their viewpoint and be as polite as possible when, when seeking out something of, of a, of a sensitive nature. Mm-hmm. But if, if we're, you know, so that's, I guess I'm getting a little bit more specific, but, uh, in, in the general sense, I think just having a background in something mm-hmm. and then looking at your own compass. I like the idea of the compass. I mean, I, you know, that's something I always talk about, but I think to me, one of the things is, has always been, what is it that makes you curious, right? Something there, there's almost a childlike curiosity. And it seems like for you, this, this curiosity about all of this has, has been there for a very, very long time. Like it started at an early age. Yeah. I, I mean, for me uh, right now, I'm, I'm, completing three different books mm-hmm. and each of those books started with one question. And I think whenever you just have one question that gnaws at you and is just this relentless, um, query in, in your mind, then you're going to seek out that answer. So, um, you know, for my, for the book that I'm writing about my grandparents, uh, the question was, what were their stories, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I needed to know their stories. Uh, and then when I was removed from that book and I started writing the novel, uh, which is, um, about the young Cambodian kid, I just thought, you know, what would it be like to be a survivor of another genocide and not really have any sort of knowledge of your own past? Mm-hmm. So, you know, someone who, who was an infant survivor of the Cambodian genocide and then brought to America, um, you know, and, and, and removed from their Cambodian family and the entire population, I think they would be <laughs> really, really struggling for some sort of, um, some sort of information on who they were and what, you know, what made them the person that they are today. So, you know, those, those books really just started from one essential question. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online 
you'll experience the all-new Cerebral Way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow! Did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com/acast and use code acast for twenty percent off your first purchase. A new year is full of surprises, but one thing is always predictable: postage costs go up. Stamps.com gives you crazy discounts of up to eighty-nine percent off USPS and UPS services. So when postage goes up your business will barely notice the change. Stamps.com is like your own personal post office, wherever you are. You can even take care of orders on the go with the mobile app. No lines, no traffic, no waiting. Schedule package pickups, automatically find the cheapest and fastest shipping options, and seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. There's even a supply store where you can stock up on mailing supplies, labels, even printers. Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses just like yours. All you need is a computer or phone and printer. Take a chunk out of your mailing and shipping costs this year with Stamps.com. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. Let's talk about aging. It's inevitable, right? But what if I told you there's a new way to age led by Solgar Cellular Nutrition? They believe, and I do too, that you can transform the way you age cell by cell with the power of cellular nutrition. As we age, our cellular function declines. Your regular multivitamins and minerals might not be enough to combat these age-related declines, and that's where Solgar Cellular Nutrition comes in. It's formulated with targeted cellular nutrients that work with your body's natural processes deep inside your cells to help you fight cellular decline and promote cell health across three benefit areas. It supports cell energy, repair, and vitality, muscle strength, and even glutathione production to help protect cells. So let's own our healthy aging narrative. Visit CellularNutrition.Solgar.com to learn more. Again, that's CellularNutrition.Solgar.com to learn more. Solgar Cellular Nutrition. We go cell deep. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. I love the idea of the, the, that whole concept of one essential question. You know, I mean, if, if you if you think about it, you know, what we do, I think maybe the one essential question that um, I'm trying to answer with every episode or tr- that drives this podcast is is what is it that causes human beings to thrive, or you know, what is it that makes people um, you know, stand out in such a world of noise? Like what is it that allows exceptional people to be exceptional? A couple of different ways of thinking about one question, even though I asked three, but uh, you know, let's, uh, let's shift gears a little bit. I want to talk um, a a bit about your travels. Uh, You know, obviously the fact that you spent all that time surfing the world has tremendous appeal to me personally. Uh, But I'm really curious how that period of your life 
has sort of influenced and shaped everything going forward, how it shaped your creativity, how it shaped your views as a writer. Uh, and, and really, I mean, you know, I think we can easily write that off as, hey, you know, you just spent a year being a surf bum. But I don't entirely think that's true. I think there's more to it than that. And I want to get into that. Yeah, I, I mean, in terms of how it shaped me as a writer, um, I mean, clearly it's just been the topic of a lot of my content. Mm. Uh, you know, right now I'm also I'm, I'm completing a, a memoir of that uh, experience where we're basically filled with, uh, you know, my attempts to find good waves and really just walk away with a lot of misadventure stories. Mm-hmm. Um so you know it, it definitely delivered a lot of content, but in, in, in terms of how it shaped me as a person, um, well, I think that I can communicate with people um, in a in a way where I, I just have this interest in knowing about their lives because it's so different from my own mm-hmm. and from my own experience. And, um, it, you know, it also allowed me to take a lot of chances, um, which, you know, for better or for worse, but, um, I think the places that I had traveled, so it just so happens that a lot of great waves also are near a, a lot of areas where there's a lot of interesting history and separatist conflict. Um, so, you know, I got a lot of interesting viewpoints, um, from, from the people, uh, from, from two sides and two extremes. So when I was, uh, surfing in Ireland, um, I spent a lot of time in the North or, or just along that border. And I went hitchhiking with, uh, members of Sinn Féin, which is basically the political wing, uh, that, is somewhat associated with the IRA. And when I was down in, uh, surfing in Spain in Mundaka, which is a famous wave there, uh, that's right in the heart of the Basque country. And I just spent all my days walking around the town, uh, speaking to the people and trying to translate the graffiti, the political graffiti that was all over the walls. Um, so, you know, I just, I, I, I found myself being very interested in, in people and trying to get at their stories. And that's basically what I try to do as a writer when I, um, you know, on my travel blog, somewhere or bust, I'm not always looking for, you know, the top five best things to do in, you know, this country or that country. Uh, I mean, occasionally I'll have one of those posts, but I'm looking for, uh, stories and it's not always about place. It's, it, it usually is about the people. Um, you know, I, I, one of my favorite stories is, um, about traveling in, in Laos and, um, being taken around into all the Buddha caves with these three little kids. And they were just really, I think, uh, epitomized the, the, the culture and, uh, the types of people you'll meet traveling around Laos. Mm-hmm. So, um, that you know, it's, it's, it's those kinds of interactions and experiences that I find more remarkable. And, um, you know, same thing with, uh, traveling. Um, I I actually got the experience to travel with a survivor in, um, in Europe and, uh, we went to all the camps together. Uh, me and I was in a group, but, um, you know, just, just visiting the sites, I had done that already, but to stand there with him and to hear his stories and to hear, uh, the emotion in his voice and the quiver of a qua- of, of his, you know, him trying to stifle this cry. It was, uh, it made place enhanced. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's the long version. <laughs> yeah, no, no. I, and that's the, I, I, I want the long version. That's, that's how uh, <laughs> we find all these, these stories. Let me ask you this, you know, one of the, the sort of things that I, I find when I, when I talk to people is that you go through like a significant emotional experience. I mean, even 14 months traveling is a significant emotional experience. And then to get back to some semblance of a normal life, a lot of people will often come back from something like that. And it, there's almost an adjustment period or a transition in which they struggle um, I remember one of the things that, uh, you know, we had Tyler Colson who walked a dog across America here 
<laughs> and I remember one thing very distinctly, you know, when, when I asked him about the transition back to a normal life, he said that, you know, for the first probably three months, he had a tremendous amount of anxiety. He couldn't sleep at night. Uh, you know, living in Chicago after spending almost a year just walking across the United States uh, was actually quite stressful. Like it, it, everything seemed too fast. And I'm really curious uh, if you had experiences like that, how you dealt with them and, you know, sort of what, what are the what are the implications for people listening from something like that? Well, I think this answer will will touch on your previous question and this one. Um, basically, I just the, the the trip taught me what was valuable in life mm -hmm. because when I came back, um, I got right into a, a PR job in um in new york city and i would spend my entire day commuting working waiting for the clock to hit a reasonable hour to leave commuting home i mean i did my job but all that time was spent either getting to work or working mm -hmm. and when i got home i had maybe two three hours before it was really time to wrap things up, and it was just not the the life that I was accustomed to. And yeah, I, I, it definitely could have uh, affected me negatively, but I just realized that I, you know, th it wasn't for me. And um, I I took a job that fit my lifestyle a bit more, and because I realized that I didn't want to work my whole life, and realized that I had um, sacrificed so many things. So, you know, I took a job that paid less, but it gave me more free time and allowed me to, uh, to satisfy my own needs in a way. And um, it, it was funny, actually, when I returned, it was 2004, and I saw all of these people walking around New York City with um, these white headphones that connected to nothing. Mm -hmm. It was just like in their pocket. And when I had left, the, the big thing was the disc man or the, the walk man. <laughs> and so, like, the biggest culture shock for me was that you had something the size of your wallet or, you know, now the size of our iPhones mm -hmm. that was playing music. So that was, that was my big culture shock, coming back and seeing that the iPod was uh, ubiquitous. Mm -hmm. Well, let me ask you this. You know, one of the, the other um, parts of, of this that actually I'm really curious about is the relationship with your grandmother. And, and, you know, you talked about coming back and how, you know, over the next, you know, several years, um, it sounds like you got into sort of a dialogue with her uh, about right. the stories and, and, you know, how it, it all translated. And I'm really curious about, you know, what that was like, the process of it, how it affected your relationship with her. Um and, you know, I mean, what's it like to, to talk to somebody about painful experiences and, and having them relive that through telling the stories of it? Yeah. Um, well, I, I had a newfound respect for my grandmother. My grandmother growing up was uh, very stereotypical of the Jewish grandmother. <laughs> she, you know, spent all her time in the kitchen. She uh, fetched when, uh, when she would see spills or crumbs on the floor, uh, she would yell at us for not eating. And, and, and to me, she was always just this character. And I kind of just always laughed at her, um, lovingly, of course. Mm -hmm. Um, and I always knew that my grandfather was the hero, the tough guy. And I just kind of wrote my grandmother off in a sense like, Oh yeah, she, she was a survivor, but not like my, my poppy had survived. And actually, the, the way that the book first began, it's now called My Grandparents' Holocaust and um, Shopping It Around. But um, the way it first began, I was surfing in Panama. This was a separate trip, not related to the, the, the year plus abroad. Um, and I was just sitting there. And I thought, I'm going to write a book about my grandfather because he's this hero who survived five different concentration camps and he was part of the uprising in Warsaw. So when I got home um, and my, gran my grandmother had already started telling me stories, but all my questions were always about my grandfather. And what was great about my grandmother is she traveled kind of parallel uh, – to my grandfather throughout the war. So when he was in one ghetto, she was there too, just coincidentally. When he was in a camp, she was there too. So whenever she would tell me a story about him, because that's how my questions were, were, were slanted, um, 
they eventually evolved into, well, let me tell you what happened to me. And I just, I, I, I felt ridiculous. I felt very silly that I didn't, I discounted my grandmother and that she was as much of a hero uh, as my grandfather or as much of a survivor uh, as, you know, she had gone through, I think, even worse conditions because she was in some terrible camps and she watched too many people and from her family killed in front of her. Uh, so I think that, you know, my, my grandfather watched the train disappear with his family, but she watched, you know, her, she was holding her mother's hand, uh, when, when she was murdered. So to hear all of these stories from my grandmother revealed to me accidentally almost because I was not asking the right questions, Mm -hmm. uh, was, was an incredible experience for me. And, uh, luckily, luckily, uh, they had, you know, traveled similar journeys, uh, to survive. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if that, did did that answer the question? Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. I mean, it's, it's, you know, I figured that there had to be a a sort of evolving relationship there to, to tell stories like this and, and to, you know, I, I almost, it almost makes me think of movies like the joy luck club, but you know, in a very different context, if you know what I mean. Um, right. in, in which, you know, you're, you're basically sharing stories across generations and, uh, you know, a story in, in this case that happens to be incredibly painful to share probably. Right. Well, actually I should, I should tell you the, uh, the happy spin on this. Um, so like I had said before, my grandmother, when my, when my grandfather died, she basically shut down, she gave up on life. She wanted to die herself. Mm-hmm. And when I came back from Poland, uh, and I, started to rekindle these questions on, on the Holocaust, um, it, it did something to her and it really, and it became almost like a project that she looked forward to. And while every session ended or, or had a pause where she said, I need to take my tranquilizer because the memories were just so, um, damaging to her in the past and affecting her now. And at that moment when we were discussing, uh, even after she took that pill or even after she, she said, look, my hands are shaking, she jumped right back into, you know, wait, I have more to tell you. And she would just reveal story after story. And I don't know, it, 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 in a weird, macabre sort of way, it rejuvenated this spirit that had kind of sunk away when, when my grandfather died. So, yeah, that, there's a... I guess a happy ending uh, mm-hmm. in in revealing these stories. Interesting. Well, let's do this. Um, you know, we 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 kind of touched on the Cambodian genocide piece, but I, I want to go back to that because uh, I still have a, a lot of questions around that. I mean, so all of this connects to. I mean, it, to me, it seems like you know, like you said, there there's sort of the one question that you're trying to answer throughout every one of these projects. Um, I mean, talk to us in more depth around sort of this Cambodian genocide piece. I mean, what it revealed. To to you, you know, as a person, how it influenced, you know, your worldview, um, and what, you know, what do we not know about this? I mean, what, what, it seems to me throughout this, that you're trying to shine light on something that is kind of, you know, not, not been given its due, I guess, um, by the media or by, by, you know, by history. And so I'd love to hear your thoughts on all of this. Right. Well, I mean, that was my goal for, uh, traveling the Cambodian genocide, um, I wanted people to see what was happening, what happened back then, though it's not a history book by any means, um, but what had, uh, briefly, what had happened back then by looking at Cambodia today and hearing from the people. And, you know, this is a country that still has about five to six million landmines and unexploded ordnance scattered throughout the land, making, uh, making the land unusable in some areas and crippling children and adults daily. Um, this is a place that <laughs> has, um, Khmer Rouge, um, still in existence in, in, in terms of the, the, um, the people who were a part of the Khmer Rouge were not ever brought to justice. Like right now you have a, a few of the top members on trial, mm-hmm. but they're in their nineties, you know? Um, so basically neighbors have to look out at their neighbor and see that, you know, this was somebody who 
was a member of the Khmer Rouge. So it's it's definitely unsettling. You know, the, the Jews pretty much left Europe, you know, or or, or they left Germany. Uh, so they're not looking at the Nazis. But the Cambodian population, they all mm-hmm. stayed. You know, the survivors stayed. So that's just, that's got to create um, uh, emotional issues right there. Uh, you have you have a government that's uh, corrupt, and also a government that's some uh, that some members are culpable for what had happened in in the 1970s. And um, you know, kids right now are, um, are 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 not getting the correct education because I think people would rather uh, keep all this under wraps. And, um, you know, so, so, so that's kind of like the landscape of the country um, and, and, how, and how that time period still affects, affects the people today. But just from traveling around um, and, 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 and talking with the people, there's, there's – I mean, I, I'm not trying to pigeonhole people into two groups, but there's the people who – who want to know and want to share their stories. And then the, and there's the people who want to basically shut down that memory. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, you know, it's, it's, it, I think it's it kind of goes with every, um, tragedy. There, there's people who, who want to share and pe- people who don't. So it was just about accessing the people who wanted to tell their stories. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, that makes me think of something that uh, uh, one of our former guests, a happiness researcher, Sean Acor, said. He said, you know, there are some people who experience, uh, instead of post-traumatic stress, post-traumatic growth, uh, hmm. which, is, which is actually fascinating. And I'm, I'm curious, you know, based on your observations, um, what do you think distinguishes those two groups of people? based on what you saw and, and your own experiences? I'm not even going <laughs> to believe to understand what, what, what sets one person uh, into one category and what sets another person into the other category. I, I mean, I, I, I would have no idea. Um, but I do think that the people who were um, – who revealed their stories – they seem to have a, a different light. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they, they, they found ways to smile. Um, and not to say, and, and granted, I didn't spend a lot of time with the people who wouldn't share their story because, you know, they didn't want to talk to me. Right. Uh, so I don't know, I don't know them personally, but I think pe- the, the people who were, who were interested in, in sharing their story, it was, it was therapeutic to them, mm-hmm. uh, in, in some regards do, I mean, I'm not saying that with any sort of background in uh, psychiatry or psychology, sure. but, um, you know, just uh, it, it did seem to be um, beneficial to them in some way to, to talk about their experiences. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll, I'll add one sort of comment to that uh, based on, uh, you know, one of the, the most important conversations that I've had with uh, Greg Hartle, who works with me on Unmistakable Creative, and some of you know him and some of you got to – it was based on a, a talk that he gave at the Instigator Experience. Uh, is this notion of your temporary circumstances um, not being your permanent identity? And I, I, in my mind, I think that's the distinction between those two groups. Again, you know, like you said, neither of us are psychologists or, or shrinks, but I think that some people have an ability to to separate what has happened from that happened to them from who they are as a person. Yeah, I, I mean, looking at Cambodia, the people there. I mean, for everything that they've been through and for everything that they're going through now. Um, they're some of the most optimistic people I've ever met. Um, there are, there are groups of people playing volleyball, uh, all around the country and they don't have legs. They're just sitting on tarps with their limbs, their, um, their prosthetics scattered on the sidelines and they're just playing games, uh, you know, with, with, with this positive, spirit that that sports can bring about and the kids um are smiling and then i i watched some some children who were trying to sell me these um these bracelets that every cambodian kid unfortunately seems to have to sell um and you know they they're smiling and then i see her run over to her father who's who doesn't have any limbs and you know it must be hard being a kid in that position obviously she's out there she's in this position where she has to support her family um in some in some regards and the father is is 
incapable of uh, providing the way that he probably wishes he could. So just to see these smiling kids and to see these people persevering, it's really, um, it's really powerful. And I don't think, I don't, I think there's something in the culture of that country that allows that to happen. Mm -hmm. Well, Noah, uh, this has, uh, this has been really interesting. I I knew, you know, when you emailed me, there was something here, you know, as I always say, there's curiosity is kind of my driving force and and the tone of your email and, and kind of the story uh, was something that intrigued me, and so I, I really appreciate you doing this. But I'm going to ask you one last question, um, which is how we closed kind of all of our interviews uh, here for the last several months. You know, our show is called The Unmistakable Creative, and we live in one of the noisiest worlds we've ever lived in. So what is it uh, in your mind and your experience and, and based on everything that you've been through um, that makes something or someone unmistakable? Well, I mean, in terms of, uh, I guess I'll, I'll answer that from a writer's perspective, um, but I guess it's applicable to, to anybody. It's just having, uh, I, I would say, a unique voice and not following, I guess, the, the typical trends that are out there. Um, you know, I had mentioned before that in, in, in my world of travel writing, there's there seems to be this trend of the top five, the top ten, the top <laughs> this and you know it's i'm i'm probably not and to tell you the truth my most um successful posts are the ones that i happen to have written the top five but i don't really like to continue that um just because it's not the type of writing that i want to do i want to tell a story so i'm taking a risk and in the end will it pay off i don't know Mm -hmm. but um you know, it's, it's, it's just a way to, I guess, yeah, stay above the noise and to set yourself, um, apart. So, you know, in, in, in all of the writing I I do, I try to tell a story and I try to have that story focus on people, whether it's, you know, a, a novel or the story about my grandparents, you know, it's not about the Holocaust per se. Mm -hmm. It's about these two people, uh, doing incredible things to overcome that period in their life. And, it's about my questions and my search uh, for the, for their answers. So yeah, I think just just taking a risk and and being true to to who you want to present if you're going out there mm-hmm. um, uh, with you know going public with your craft. Awesome. Well, no, uh, this has been really, really uh, interesting and definitely different um, than a lot of the conversations we've had here. So I, I really appreciate you taking the time to join us and share some of your insights and uh, a bit of your story with our listeners here at Unmistakable Creative. Well, thanks for speaking to me. Yeah. I enjoyed it. Yeah, my pleasure. And uh, for those of you guys listening, we'll wrap the show with that. You've been listening to the Unmistakable Creative Podcast. Visit our website at unmistakablecreative.com and get access to over 400 interviews in our archives. Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World, and this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch, the skills that are essential for standing out and thriving no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.